0: I've mentioned this before, but after decades, I suppose, of sifting through lists of virtues and sorting through my own soul, we all do this to some extent. We try to find those guiding principles or lights, those ideas that most resonate with us and most provoke us and help us. And I have, not exhaustively, but for myself, I have sufficiently settled on i i guess it was about a year ago that these really kind of came crystallized for me but i've i've settled on six overarching virtues that seem to be for me an effective starting point for my spiritual life for my uh for my disposition as a human being as a spiritual being those are the same things to me these six guiding virtues uh, that make most sense to me are first of all, honesty, second, courage, third, curiosity for an inquisitive spirit, an exploratory spirit, an open spirit. so honesty, courage, curiosity, gratitude, fifth would be humility, and sixth would be love. honesty, courage inquisitiveness, gratitude, humility, and love. And I would encourage everybody to get out a list of virtues sometime. I have a wonderful book by M. Scott Peck that is just a compilation of quotes around virtues. Um, the book literally subdivides virtues into about 80 or 90 categories. A brilliant book and I've used that book. But these six I've really settled on our recent series that we've called blind spots if there were a subtitle of this series it would be looking for the hidden ways that bias prejudice and discrimination still live in me blind spots looking for the hidden ways that bias prejudice and discrimination still exist in me this particular series has called on all six of these cardinal virtues for me Uh, it's called on me as I've listened to Anna, Melissa, Mickey and others it's called on me to really move press into honesty to make a raw and open as we say in the 12 step world a, a searching inventory to make a raw and open search for truth a raw and open search for reality that's what honesty is to be open to the way things are not necessarily the way I want them to be or see them to be search me O God David said this has been a constant prayer of mine over the last several months actually search me O God and see if there be any wicked way hidden in me because as I often quote Frederick Buechner the problem with introspection is if you do it in isolation As he said, the problem with stepping back and looking at yourself is you see everything except the part that stepped back. And the part that stepped back can be the insidious place where all your stuff really hides. That's why we have to live together in community. That's why we have to rub one another wrong. That's why we have to be around one another with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And be open to what the voice of community says about us. Honesty. The second This series has forced us to press into, or it's forced me to press into, is courage. The strength of character, not just to confront truth, but the strength of character to act on the truth that I have found, no matter the cost. Courage. Bravery of soul. Curiosity. Inquisitiveness. The the willingness, uh, the exploratory spirit that looks beyond my own perspective... It's very important for me to not do the message on genderism, and what a wise decision that was to have Anna do it. Um, her her tears she's she's not a, a a weepy person like I am. She she doesn't cry a whole lot, but when she began crying at some point, it just filleted my soul and when I listen to the words behind those tears curiosity the willingness to look beyond my own perspective the awareness of and the awe towards a reality larger than the one that I can currently see from my angle to get over the shoulder of someone else and look at life the way they do curiosity gratitude Our sense that life is a gift. Our presence here was an act of divine sharing. This is all the impetus of sharing and so we should continue with the inertia of sharing and at our core, if we are anything, we are the one shared with. And if we are the one shared with, then all of us, Should treat creation as a gift to be shared equitably by all of us. As Buechner says, there should be no full peace for any of us until there's real peace for all of us. Gratitude. Gratitude is the heart's memory. Humility. I am not the only honest, courageous, curious, grateful person on this path. Humility. Other people see things differently than I. And to get past my anger and my hypersensitivity, my defensiveness on difficult subjects like bias and prejudice. And to just step aside and let someone else have a go at it. Someone else that you know carries a much different perspective than you. Humility, I am not the only one doing my exploration on this planet and my life should be informed by the experiences of other people. And finally, love, to truly and deeply, to ask myself, do I truly and deeply care about the well-being of another? As Mickey Scott Bay Jones talked last week, she's a hard and pressing agent of reform. Many times her writings have provoked me. I wouldn't say to the point of disagreement, but to a slap in the face and my defensiveness has welled up then why would we invite her to come for that very reason sometime the willingness to sit with the opinion of another and just listen it's um it's an exercise of soul that I I think we should probably do more of To ask myself, do I truly and deeply care enough about the well-being of another person that I would listen to them. I would value their words. I would listen to their perspective. I would care enough to just shut my mouth. Love. To be loved by God. To love God in return. And then to love myself as I have been loved by God. To agree with the sacred voice that calls me beloved. And then to realize I'm not alone in this world. But to love my neighbor as I love myself. As one loved by God. Blind spots, looking for the hidden ways in all of us that bias, prejudice, and discrimination still exist. We gather as a community of faith for several reasons. We gather to celebrate, we gather to love and be loved, we gather gather for the encouragement that comes in our songs. We gather for the reason that Michael Higgins and his family are part of this church to have hands laid on us, to have hearts caring about us. We gather to celebrate, we gather to be loved and to love, we gather to be encouraged, to be uplifted. We want to walk away from here, uh, walk away from our fall festival yesterday feeling a lilt in our step and, and a little bit better than before we came. And we also gather to be challenged and As we move into this next series on beauty, we're really going to be focusing more on celebration and encouragement. Because I know, we know as leaders around here, this last year and a half has been a lot about challenge. We are challenged out the wazoo. It's time for a little breath of fresh air and some beauty. But would you allow me one more challenge? We gather to be challenged. That we might continue to grow as people. Would you be... Willing today to just open your souls with me. Just to being challenged um, to do an exercise of spirit. One that will exercise all six of these soul parts, these virtues that I just mentioned, like body parts. This is one of those days that you're not going to the gym just to work on chest or back or legs, it's one of those full body workouts. We're gonna look at gratitude and we're gonna look through the lens of gratitude and love and courage and curiosity. It's gonna be a a robust workout today and you're going to do it, I'm not going to do it for you. But specifically I would like us to utilize all six of these soul parts from curiosity to gratitude, from humility to love, in regard to this subject of blind spots. More specifically the blind spots we have toward one another even other groups of people. One thing I found about us, I did a little Facebook post on it this morning, but I I found out about us, I was thinking really early this morning about myself, is that most of us in our shadow side, most of us in our ego, are a strange mix of stubborn, mistrusting, arrogant and insecure. Can you say amen? In our shadow side, we carry that strange mix of arrogance and insecurity, conceit and stubbornness. A mistrust for other people's opinions and motives. We simply are not going to be changed. I've learned this after, no, I did not learn this after 32 years of ministry. I've learned it in the school of hard knocks just over the last few years. Coming to grips with something I think that most of us begin to in middle age hopefully come to grips with and that that is that we simply are not going to be changed by someone else thinking we need to be changed we are not going to change somebody just because we think they need to change we are too stubborn we are too mistrusting we are too proud and we are too insecure to let another person change us not on your life Welcome to the world of Facebook conversations, family reunions, marriage and political debates. Can you say amen? But while the reality is we are not often changed by the direct efforts of other people, especially the person who thinks I need to change and is out to change me, I generally dig my feet in when I feel that coming on. It's amazing to me How little capacity I give other people to change me and yet how often I think I can change them. When you're really frustrated thinking to yourself, why doesn't this person understand what I'm saying? Why don't they get it? Just stop and ask yourself, what kind of a chance do they actually have of changing me right now? The answer you could flip, Buck, and that's just about how much chance you've got of changing them. But while we're not often changed by the direct efforts of other people, the reality is we do need to change. We do need to learn. We do need to grow. And we do need to expand. We do need to actualize. We do need to be enlightened. We do need to mature as human beings. And yet, over and again, we have that experience of feeling that someone you didn't really like was actually right about something. That's the worst, isn't it? When you begin to get that sneaking suspicion in the middle of the argument that that person that you really don't care for may just have the better side of a matter, that's when stubborn pride kicks in and you think to yourself, no way am I going to let them win on this one. And the insecurity of competitiveness steals the victory from your soul. One of the things I always appreciated and one of the things I hope to have learned from my mentor Lawson Hugh Hardwick who pastored the wonderful Christ Church here in this town for 59 years and he pastored it not to an insipid end but he pastored it to glory for 59 years and he took me under his wing at 26 years when I was 26 years of age he was 36 years my senior one of the things that I learned from him especially in retrospect, was that he often knew as a young minister I needed to change and I needed to grow in an area. But even with the ample seniority that he held over me those 36 years, he never set it up that way, never. Lee, I don't remember one time him ever walking into my office and saying, I need to talk to you, Stan. He would always come in the back door of grace. He would always come to me, and it wasn't because he had taken a Dale Carnegie course, although those are great. It was simply because he had found a wisdom of spirit to know that you don't change people by trying to change them. By presumptuously thinking somehow in a condescending way that you're better than them, although you might be on this particular subject. His corrections of me, as I look back on them, I didn't even know they were corrections at the time because his corrections always humanely left me with my dignity. His corrections always humanely left me with my dignity. He slipped in in gently, leaving the admonition in a humble, self-disclosing, personalized way. And then he would slip out, always leaving me with the dignity of self-government. I try these days to lead, teach, and counsel that way. Whether that's with my children, the congregation I serve, or on social media. And I think what Brother Hardwick did with me and what I try to do and what I try to model is one of the great things about Jesus to me. He was a master teacher whose pedagogy in the history of great teachers is unmatched. Jesus knew how to correct and confront in a way that was most effective for his specific audience. I'm not saying there wasn't time that he was sardonic or sarcastic, but I can almost guarantee you in that moment, I can guarantee you in that moment, he believed lovingly that that was the best angle for the audience he was speaking to. But far more often than sarcasm, Jesus, as the crowd would bring a woman caught in the very act of adultery, stripped to her waist, bare in her shame, Jesus would do inimitable things like look down and begin to ride in the dirt, and we have forever wondered what he wrote in that dirt, and I suppose if he would have intended us for, for us to know, he would have told us what he wrote in the dirt. But the important thing wasn't that he was, what he was writing in the dirt. The important thing is that he was writing in the dirt. The important thing was that as the woman was brought in her shame, unclothed, he looked down. He knew that you never shame people into a better way of life you never dominate and dictate people into a better way of life you never grind their nose and their mistakes to get them to change and so as she was brought voyeurs all around religious voyeurs all around he simply looked down she didn't need one more set of eyes he met a woman at a well who had been married five times and just could not get it right finally given up on marriage and was shacked up with a guy as we used to call it and he didn't say anything about the commandments on adultery or marriage or morality. He just looked at her and taught her, taught her by saying, Would you give me a drink of water? Wow. He was unmatched. He knew how to correct. He knew how to confront. He knew how to be a change agent in people's life without them even knowing it. And, and I just wanted to today walk you just for a few minutes the few minutes that we have remaining I just want to walk because last the last four or five weeks man I've heard everything from we're not doing enough to you're being too hard on white males and us white heterosexual males quite a few you know I've heard from my friends in this congregation have felt beat up by the last few weeks and some of you on the other side have said that we didn't go far enough and all I can say is we gave it our best shot and I'm ready to move on to a series about beauty how about you but before we do I'd like to walk you through a specific story from Jesus life and I would like to ask you just for five or ten minutes to be willing to open your soul to this story to open your soul to God and to the questions, how can I be more honest, courageous, curious, humble, grateful, and loving? Specifically in the areas of possible bias, prejudice, and discrimination that still exist, exist in me toward other people. How can I be impacted? Luke, the 10th chapter I think the guys and gals have it back there. And I just want to walk through this famous story. And I just want you to, for a moment, let's close our eyes. All of our eyes closed and hearts are open. Would you just, for a few seconds there with your eyes closed, would you just think, and just say to yourself, I am willing to be honest. I'm willing to be honest. And, and next, would you just say, I'm willing to be courageous? With your heart still and your feet there on the floor, trying not to think about all the stuff that competes, would you just say to yourself, I am willing to explore this text in a curious way and admit that I may not have gotten the fullness out of it yet and could you just steal your heart and say I'm willing to be grateful and humble and loving around the subjects of bias especially the hidden kind prejudice especially the insidious kind that I don't admit to myself because I'm above it discrimination especially that subversive sort that gets beneath my radar that I am way too proud to admit possibly could still exist in me and with our hearts open supine could we just say search us oh God and whatever Anna didn't get said or Melissa didn't get said or whatever ways Mickey Scott Bay Jones peaked or aggravated us Spirit of God search us and see if there's any thing left to do here And let this story be a guide for us. Okay. So Luke 10, verse 25 says, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Interesting question. I was thinking about it this morning. I couldn't sleep, and I just mold this text over in my mind. Automatically the text explains something about the motive of this religious leader by saying he came to Jesus to test him. And I I wondered there about how much ostensibility Fills our religious life. Ostensible was a word that I could not figure out what it meant and how to use it for years. And I still get messed up on ostensible. But as best I can tell, ostensible is when you act like you're doing something for this reason, but you're actually doing it for this reason. It's a, it's a fancy word for hypocrisy or diplomacy. And there is a fine line between diplomacy and hypocrisy, and it is a dangerous line. But ostensibility in church, to act like you come for this reason, but to actually come for this reason. And the reality of ostensibility of soul is sometimes those things can be so far beneath the surface that we don't even recognize them. And that was what Jesus was great about. Jesus literally could cut, and, and the Spirit of God does this, it can cut beneath our own motives. The Bible said the word of the Lord is like a sword that cuts between the bone and the marrow, the thought and the intent. It gets way down in there. This is the work of spirit in community. And reflectively, the text says, the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. And I'm telling you, the lawyer may not even have known that fully. that was the motive And, and, and to come to any religious setting or to come to any human discussion with a motive to win to test to prove these are less than good motives to come to Jesus or one another every time we come to that important discussion every time we come to that important interaction this is a great text to remember why am i coming here is it to test or to learn is it to be heard or to hear i mean in the in the moment there was no caption over the guy's head that said this guy is coming to jesus to test no he just came with a big smile into a religious setting and said What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Looks pretty nice, doesn't it? But the text cleans it up and says it wasn't nice at all. He came with the right question for the horrible reason of testing Jesus. But if you just look at the question itself, it's interesting. The question, as is nine out of the ten questions that often come out of our mouth, The question was clearly, what what is in this for me? What do I have to do not to be a good person? Not what do I have to do for another person? This was not a series about blind spots and how can I see others better. This This was the question that is so often in the forefront of so many of our minds. What is in this for me? And teacher... I'm not really concerned about everybody else. I just want to know what are the federal minimal requirements for me to enter the kingdom of God. I don't want maximum requirements. I want to know what I've got to do to get in. What must I do, bare minimum, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus did what Jesus often did. In that inimitable form, he turned the question back to him and he said, What's written in the law? Jesus knew what was written in the law and he knew what the guy was going to say. So he offered the answer through the other guy's mouth, which is what any good counselor does. What does the law say? And the man said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's so interesting. The guy comes to Jesus saying, what is in this for me and how can I have eternal life? And the answer that Jesus returns to him through his own mouth is outward focused. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus looked at the man and said, the reality is you're not asking the best question." It's not always about you. As a matter of fact, it's never just about you. It's about us, but you don't understand that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus looked at the guy and said, you've given the right answer. Do this and you'll live. That life that you're wanting, that eternal life that you're wanting secure, just do what you just said and you're in. You want to take care of yourself, in other words. Jesus said if you really are concerned about taking care of yourself, here's how you do it. Take care of others. Interesting. But don't take care of others without taking care of yourself. No, love your neighbor, the law said, as you have loved yourself. Well, how do I love myself? Jesus says, well, silly, love yourself the way God has loved you. God's always right. What do I do to take care of me? Jesus said, the question is, what do you do to take care of us? And if you get the us right, you'll be amazed how the me takes care of itself. Profound. But amazingly, in verse 29, look at it. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus. This is, this is one of the most dastardly Insidious moments in the spiritual process The word of the Lord has come to you God's Spirit has spoken to you The gut the intuition is clear But it's not what you wanted to hear and it's not easy And because it's not easy and because it's not what you wanted to hear Instead of going with that intuition, instead of learning to sense that initial word, even if it's uncomfortable, and to yield to it, the horrible decision is made. The caption would read, the guy is making a tragic mistake here. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What's the scripture say? Love God, love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, don't overcomplicate it. Take care of them, it'll take care of you. And as Jesus turns, the guy says, hey, but wait. Jesus' heart falls. Wait, what? Well, I'm not sure I'm clear on what you're saying there. Really? You're really not sure on what I'm saying there? What part are you not clear about? Love God love yourself as God loves you and then love your neighbor the way you have loved yourself and the guy says I I know it sounds clear but who's my neighbor see what I did there who's my neighbor he says And, and again the caption wasn't there in the moment Because the guy was a religious leader and in the moment, without the caption, without the background, without the clairvoyance of God explaining what's happening, you know, other people could have been impressed. Oh, that's, you know, that's a really legitimate question that he's asking there. Who is the neighbor? Is it just Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans? You know, what do we do with enemies? How do we treat the foreigner? It's a good biblical question. Except, again, the caption above him says something that he doesn't say. The caption said, yeah, yeah, it was, yes, technically it was a good question. But he wanting to justify himself said. Again, the motive behind the thought. And he came to Jesus to test him and said. And he willing to justify himself said. He willing to justify himself. He Wanting to let himself off of the hook because in the moment when the spirit convicts when the word comes when the intuition hits you when you Dream that dream for the third time and you know that you've got to make it right But the brain begins to kick in the pride and the arrogance and the insecurity and the ego and the shadow side rise up The amazingly insidious thing about the shadow and the ego is it always quotes scripture and it always glosses the thing ostensibly. It's no fool. It can whitewash the sepulchre so well that the dead person themselves doesn't even know they're dead. And he, willing to justify himself, as you remember the old story about, um, oh, W.C. Fields. Remember the old legendary story, I don't know if it's true or not, but Fields was, a, was an atheist, uh, at least an agnostic, and never a believer in much of anything except himself. And they said when he was dying, lore, folklore has, that one of his friends came in and saw him on his deathbed with a Bible. And Stevie was flipping through the Bible, and they thought it was such a strange sight, and they said, Fields, what are you doing with the Bible? He said, loopholes, looking for Loopholes. And he willing to justify himself. Look back at Jesus and said can we argue the technical point here. And Jesus said we sure can. To the own. To the diminishment of your own soul we can. Who. Is my neighbor. And I suppose. The man was trying to justify that not everyone is his neighbor and that his love and his care for other people could be meted out selectively and it would be righteous. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus did what Brother Hardwick used to do with me. Jesus said, can I tell you a story? And with those six muscles working right now courage curiosity humility gratitude Those that are aggravated at me because I took it too far and this has been too political of a series for you and those who are Aggravated because we didn't take it far and we didn't press in enough. I Get it. These are sensitive matters Politics and religion, family reunions, political debates, religious debates. Jesus knew that, and he said, well, I want to tell you a story, and maybe it will help with that question, who's my neighbor? Jesus said there was a man, presumably a Jewish man, an Israelite, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho was actually north. But to give you an idea of the religious attitude of those who lived in Jerusalem. Anywhere they went from Jerusalem was down. And it wasn't just because of topography and elevation. I'm afraid that many times when Christians approach other people. It doesn't matter even if we're moving north. We always feel like we're going down. We sound like we're talking down a whole lot more than I think we ought. But this particular Israelite was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a particularly scary road, he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him. They beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. So here's the guy, stripped of his clothes, naked in a ditch, beaten almost to death. Verse 31 says, Now by chance a priest, because not everything is always because of the divine providence of God. Even scripture says sometime chances and preachers are in the same sentence of life. By chance, a priest. Sure wasn't the providence of God, because if it would have been the providence of God, he would have sent somebody a whole lot better than this priest. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that same road. And when he saw him, I remember the question. Wanting to justify himself, he said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus automatically says the guy's in the ditch and a priest goes walking by and the priest is probably on his way to the temple. And as he was going by, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. So the priest literally passed by, saw him, and went to the other side of the road so it would not bother his conscience to act like he had not seen him. I mean, that's what we do when we feel that prick of consciousness that we need to do something and we don't want to do it, we don't have the whatever to do it. We go to the other side of the road and we try to pretend with God and ourselves and everybody else that we didn't see it. <laughs> My daughter, Nina, will not pass the folks selling a paper without giving them a dollar. We have a stack of papers in the back of of our car. And Steve, she's always wanting to do that. And the other day, I didn't have any money. And as I pulled up to the stop sign, I started to drive off. And Nina said, Dad, quit acting like you didn't see him. I know you saw him. And you know what? She was right. I tried to act like I didn't see him. And I'm not saying you got to buy those papers or not buy those papers. But I did ask myself why I acted like I didn't see him. Who was I performing for, him or her or... So the priest going down that road when he saw him pass by on the other side. Now I'm always, as I'm listening to the story of Jesus, I'm always thinking to myself... The guy that asked the question, what is he thinking right now? He's got to be thinking, I know what you're doing. You're setting me up. I'm the guy in the ditch or I'm the priest. So likewise, a Levite, one of the nuts and bolts guys at the church, not the priest, but one of the ones that, you know, the Ron Miller of the church that kept it going. He came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, fill in the blank here, as a Western Christian, just fill in the blank here, Muslim. And you will not be two degrees removed, two percentage points removed from how this word would have impacted a Jew reading it at that time. The Samaritans were a half-breed group of people that still lived in Palestine that the Jewish people despised, and they despised the Jews. To tell you who they essentially were, when the Assyrians came in and took the Israelites out of their homeland and led them away into bondage five to six hundred years before, they took every cleaned-up, good-looking person that they thought would advantage them in this foreign land. They left the utter riffraff and scavengers of the Israelite society. And that lowest caste of Israelites who weren't good enough to take away and enslave, they left them there. And that group, devoid of a priesthood, began to lose their religion and integrate with the Canaanite peoples around. And eventually, over 500 years, it developed this very strange hybrid form of Judaism and when the Israelites came back to their property they and that group never jihad to the point that Samaria as a piece of property was like a ghetto stuck right between Jerusalem and Galilee and Galilee a Jewish outpost an Israelite an outpost of Judea separated by this land called Samaria literally you've heard this before but it's true Good Jewish people at that time wouldn't even soil their feet by walking through Samaria. They would go over to the Transjordan side and add to their journey multiple hours, even days, to go up to Galilee or back down to Jerusalem. They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a group of people who, per the Jewish mindset, these Samaritans... Had warped the Abrahamic faith. Go figure. And Jesus said, there was a Samaritan that came walking down the road, and automatically the guy hears, uh, it's in my ears, there was a there was a Muslim walking down the road. They walked up beside me with the different kind of clothes. I stood there on the street corner nervous wondering what was beneath those clothes and how they saw me but a Samaritan while traveling came near him and when he saw him he was moved with pity and the Samaritan the guy with false doctrine who hates us. When he saw him, he was moved with pity and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. And he took oil and wine and poured them into the wounds. And then he picked the guy up. He was a Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, they were all ready to church by now singing. And he put him on his own animal that he had been riding. And he took him all the way to an inn. And at the inn, he took care of him. I don't know what was on the other end of his schedule. The priest and the Levite certainly had church services they had to get to. I imagine this guy had important stuff to get to as well. But he took a day or two off from his life. And he stayed at the inn and he took care of him. And the next day he had to be on his way. So he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, Would you do me a favor and take care of him? And I won't forget about him when I leave. I'm going to come back. And when I come back, if you've had to spend anything over the two denarii, I'll repay you. Man. I'm still thinking about this story this morning as a story that Jesus told in response to a man who came to test him what do I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus said what's the Bible say love God love your neighbor as yourself That's good Jesus said there's no improving on that do that and you'll be just fine what who who is your neighbor (sighs) can I tell you a story And the guy who was willing to justify himself around who is my neighbor is listening. A priest, a Levite, a herding man in the ditch, an innkeeper, a Samaritan, a conscientious Samaritan. Is there such a thing as a conscientious Samaritan? Is there such a thing as a righteous Samaritan? take care of him when I come back I'll repay you whatever more you spend verse 36 which of these three Jesus finally asked the guy a question and let us set honestly courageously curiously humbly gratefully and lovingly with this question which of these three automatically this is not the way the question should have been shaped in the man's mind, the man willing to justify himself, he asked the question, "Who is my neighbor? Tell me who is my neighbor." And he's already confused because he's thinking, "How is he sitting there? Who is my ne- is the priest my neighbor? I'm asking who's my neighbor. Is it the priest? Is it the Levite? Is it the Samaritan?" God knows we don't, I hope he doesn't say the Samaritan's my neighbor. I can't take that. I'm hoping he will just say the guy in the ditch is my neighbor. And you want to know who a neighbor is? Forget nationality. He had to be a Jewish guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let's just suppose, assume he was, a, he was one of ours. My neighbor is the person that I see that is hurting. I know, that's, that's what he's going to say. And I can live with that. I can live with my neighbor as somebody in need and I can either give the dollar or bless Steve Lindstrom to work with the homeless or go down there once a month. I can, I can take care of hurting people, the guy's saying. And Jesus totally does what Jesus always does and he subverts the whole thing. And the guy's sitting there all high and mighty saying, who is my neighbor? Because it's all about him. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? How do I get to go to heaven? How is my life going to be good? Please tell me. Okay, you said I got to love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Give me the federal spiritual minimum on who my neighbor is, and I'll do that. You know why? So I'll get to go to heaven. Because God knows it's all about me. And when Mickey Scott Bay Jones talks, God knows it's all about me. And I don't don't know what she's experienced, but it's all. So which one of these is my neighbor? And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I'm telling you I don't even know exactly what to do with this I kept waiting all week long for the epiphany of this to come so I could blow you away I think the epiphany is for you to live with it this week you figure it out the guy walks over willing to justify himself looks in the ditch and says okay he's a Jewish guy he's hurting It's my neighbor Jesus says no get down there in that ditch and look up through his eyes which of these three was a neighbor to him and interesting to me how stubborn we are and how hard-headed and proud we are Jesus said The neighbor wasn't the guy who needed to be loved. The neighbor is the one doing the loving. Quit asking who is your neighbor, be a neighbor. Ooh, there's a lot in that. But listen to this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the guy said, the one who showed him mercy. Did you hear it? Jesus said there was a priest. Jesus said there was a Levite. Jesus said there was a Samaritan. And then he looked at the guy and said, of the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which one was a neighbor? Which one wasn't thinking about what do I have to do to get my needs met? Which one was thinking about As a neighbor, I've got to meet other people's needs. Which one do you think? Was it the priest, Levi, or Samaritan? And the guy couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. He couldn't bring himself to say Catholic. He couldn't bring himself to say black man. He couldn't bring himself to say woman. He couldn't bring himself to say lesbian. He couldn't bring himself to say transgender. He couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. He could not bring himself to say catholic he could not bring himself to say black man he could not bring himself to say woman he could not bring himself to say lesbian he could not bring himself to say transgendered he could not bring himself to say samaritan he could not Get it out of his proud, insecure heart. And he just stubbornly gritted his teeth and said, the one who showed him mercy. And I can just see Jesus thinking to himself, saying to himself, you can't even bring yourself to say the word, can you? You can't even give this group of people credit. While you were wondering about whether or not you had to touch them, they were loving you while you were over here trying to figure out what you minimally owed them to take care of yourself they subverted the whole question by caring for you and then Jesus said something that religious folk like us have a hard time hearing Jesus looked at him, and I can almost see Jesus saying, you mean the Samaritan? Yeah. And Jesus looked at him and said, now go live your life like the Samaritan. Ouch. Now go be as good a man as that Muslim man was to you. Boy, Jesus could make a group mad, couldn't he? And if you let him and release the stubborn insecurities that we all hold, he also can transform your soul. So, instead of me closing this series by condescendingly thinking about how I can continue to be magnanimous and bless LGBT people and women and people of color and Muslims and all the other marginalized group. I need to get down off of my high horse and I need to begin to be open to the stories of how queer people and women and people of color and Muslims and all the other marginalized groups that I have been magnanimous enough to be good to, I need to realize that Probably in the grand scheme of things, I haven't been nearly as good to them as they have to me. This is the subversion of Jesus. It brings us to humility. Now all I will say as we close is let us go and do likewise. Can you say amen? To God be the glory. Be good to one another. We'll see you back in the house of God next week. God bless you. Go in Christ's name.